Here we go with the John Curlish, Sherry Ellicott Show. Sherry out today, taking care of her mom for her. I'll tell you, the smartest guy I get a chance to co-host the show with. You got to know when to hold I'll tell you, we go from Kierkegaard to Picasso, quantum physics to instincts of the... Uh, Dart snarl or some sort of bizarre animal that no one knows anything about. Greg Tomlin, thank you very much. You do great work for the Michael Medved Show for so many years. Still working with Michael. You can hear Michael Medved. Um, and I love the fact that you get a chance to step in with Sherry and come on the air with us because we got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about. Are you ready? Thank you. Yes, I sensed a tinge of sarcasm in your introduction, but I might no, have. No, 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 no. I, no I'm I, with you. That's I've got totally some narwhal legit. knowledge to uh, lay on you a little oh, later on. So something to look boy. forward to. Now I'm yeah, all wet. We're going to get a lot of uh, Joe giving us the speed up stuff because he doesn't understand what we're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) All right. But you know, always brings it all the way down so everybody can understand every aspect of it all is because Kate Stone. All right. KS, Kate Stone. Following. following Little secret. I also do not know what's going on. (laughs) But I put on a good show. Uh, well, geez, in full disclosure, full disclosure. Thank you for undermining any credibility. I, myself, given you. yes. Okay, that's what I do. Right, good, self-effacing. So yeah. let's do it. Uh, you're watching what's happening in Olympia. Uh yes, yes. Olympia is popping. We only mm-hmm. have about a week left, eight days technically uh-huh. to to pass a lot of things. Uh, so Matt Markovich and I are both tackling. The latest in Olympia, there will be greater protections for strippers in the industry. Maybe you've mm-hmm. heard that's that's mm-hmm. one that got passed. The natural yeah. gas uh, restrictions, are, well, the removal of PS, Puget Sound Energy's uh, obligation to provide natural gas, that is expected to be heard on the floor later uh-huh. this week. Uh, okay. And if the Senate passes that, that could uh, very well make it to the governor's desk. Mm-hmm. So those are a couple of the things uh, we, yeah, I, there are a couple of things that uh, have died, but yeah, a couple of initiatives actually being heard uh, today mm-hmm. uh, concerning police pursuits and yep. uh, parental access to their students' school records. Yes, so keeping on top of that. Right. And then at 506, we've got uh, Mark Mullet coming in. He is the... Uh, as I describe him, Washington's common sense Democrat. He's also running for governor, so we'll find out because he's uh, actually been the guy that's driven the stake into the heart of some of these uh, with some of his votes, surprising some. But, okay, let's talk about what happened at uh, Seattle uh, City Hall. They were having a meeting over there, and a bunch of protesters started banging Indeed. and yelling and screaming. Yeah. And, the reason this is news is because is what happened to the protesters. Yeah, I actually, you know, I watch a lot of city council meetings and uh, they're, they're usually not uh, not quite as dramatic or, uh, mm-hmm. or quite as much uh, interest as yesterday's. But yes, uh, six protesters were actually arrested after this. And protesting at city council meetings, to be clear, is not new. Uh, this happens actually quite a bit. Uh, But the protesters are not generally quite as vocal, or if they are, it's generally not cracked down upon quite so heavily. In fact, uh, Council President Sarah Nelson actually mentioned during the hearing, uh, because there were actually 
calls at one point for police to be called. Uh, council member Kathy Moore, uh, who is new to the council, actually called for police at one point. And request that we have police response. Uh, our physical safety is being threatened by the actions of the demonstrators outside banging on the windows. Now, they were banging on the windows because Sarah Nelson had security clear the room because of this. We will now go into a five-minute recess. So they went outside and they decided to bang on the walls to get the attention of the council members who were trying to continue on with the agenda of mm -hmm. the day. Uh, and uh, council member Sarah Nelson pointed out that uh, police, ha there has to be a certain standard for police actually to be called. Well, apparently that standard was met because instead of the city hall security, uh, SPD showed up and arrested six people. Now, what could this be considered? Could this be considered an insurrection that there were people <laughs> that I see where you're going with this stopping the process of government that they were interrupting the process? Well, they have a right. They have a right to protest. They have a right to an assembly. So you know, it's it's uh, it's up to the interpretation of the city attorney's office, which I okay. guess will now be handling these arrests if charges uh -huh. are indeed brought. However, right. what they were protesting was actually asylum seekers and mm. uh, housing assistance for uh, those people that there are hundreds of them that are currently living outside of a Tequila church. Uh, and Tequila just recently yesterday, they announced that they're going to build a very large tent to house some of these people in. But unfortunately, they are at capacity. And so mm -hmm. some of the refugee families you may remember were moved to a Kent hotel in uh, a few months ago, and they were going to be evicted at the end of January. Well, Mayor Bruce Harrell of Seattle stepped in and provided funding from Seattle to allow them a 28-day extension to stay in that Kent Hotel so they wouldn't be evicted. Well, that extension ended on Monday, and the city council uh -huh. meeting was on Tuesday. Hence why the protesters showed up. They essentially told the council before things got out of hand. A few spoke at the public comment, and they essentially said Seattle has an obligation as the largest city with the most resources to help with what is now becoming a region-wide problem with refugee families. I really think that it's shameful to just pass the buck. Council President Sarah Nelson having a somewhat different take, saying that Seattle's priority is to prior is, is they should be prioritizing their own unhoused population with the resources that they have. We also provide the lion's share of uh, resources for King County Regional Homelessness Authority. Uh, so we are also doing our part. What was also interesting about this is even before public comments started, which she limited to 20 minutes, which is unusual. Normally it's extended beyond that. She accused the protesters before they started shouting or anything like that of being politically motivated and using this refugee crisis, which she said she and others are very sympathetic to for craven political purposes that they were essentially just latching on to a very real crisis in order to make a political point or to, you know, make make drama, for lack of a better word. And it seems like an issue that's definitely worth a robust debate, left, right or center. But the cause that these demonstrators were advocating for is not necessarily the fulcrum to the story for me. Right. I think the principle that needs highlighting here is that exercising proper authority keeps the masses steady and within bounds. And like you rightly pointed out when we first started this segment, 
it, protests at City Hall have been nothing new, especially over the last couple years. Now, maybe we've seen less of them in recent months. I don't know the exact data on that. But it does seem like a positive trend and a signal here from the city council and from law enforcement that this tomfoolery uh, will no longer be tolerated, uh, at least to a degree more than it was previously being tolerated. Because three arrests of men, three arrests of women here, and they were quick to point out these weren't the refugees, but these were uh, demonstrators amidst the crowd who were causing a ruckus. And I see that as a very positive development because almost above all things in this day and age, I think we all need to be institutional institutionalists and have deference yeah. for uh, our system of governance. And the method of recourse we have in this society is to elect different officials if you don't like certain policies or the way things are going. Otherwise, you turn over the destiny or, or our collective destiny of the state, the city, your towns to accident and force rather than the system we currently have in place. Right. And what I can say anecdotally is I attended a city council meeting where there was a protest over the trees. If you you remember the the trees that were being cut down, the person that was living in the tree, yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And while I can say they were definitely vocal during public comment, and this was before the new city council, uh, no one was banging on the windows. Mm -hmm. There was certainly Uh not to that level. So it does seem, as you said, a crackdown. Words words are important because they have meaning. So I'm cautioning the use of the word refugee as describing a person who's been forced to leave their country to escape war, or persecution or natural disasters. These are illegal immigrants that have come over our borders uh, illegally. Um, either they were caught and then they have to, you know, come. The back city of Tequila is referring to them as refugees. They're not refugees. These are illegal immigrants, and whether and they will either asking for asylum or they're saying for whatever reason, but they probably will not come back for their court case. So just to put this in perspective. Denver is looking at a cost, and I think they're underestimating this of 180 million dollars. That's about 500 dollars per household in Denver to service the immigrants, the illegal immigrants that are there. Uh, the state of Washington has, uh, from 2021, it's the state that has gotten the most, second most amount of illegal immigrants, Florida being number one. Um, so we have about 300,000. They don't even know if that's the real number, but they think somewhere about 300,000 people that have come to Washington. So okay. uh, what they're demanding is they're demanding housing, they're demanding food, they're demanding health care, they're demanding everything that... Um, it, 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 it's, it shocks the conscience of the court that you can stand there and scream that you deserve all of these things. Um, and the cost will be borne by the taxpayers of the state of Washington. The uh, governor and um, his folks bragged about the fact that they were able to take federal dollars that were not supposed to go to illegal immigrants. And they sort of move them off into a separate budget line and then were able to give four hundred and fifty million dollars uh, to illegal immigrants. That was the money that the federal government says that you couldn't use because of the covid stuff it was supposed to be covid money. But they slipped it over and then they bragged about it, that they had done this. They kind of did a, a workaround somehow. So here are a bunch of people screaming and yelling to provide uh, services for people that have b- broken into this country. And that, that that's that's unfortunately for people. Those are the facts. John, I am just going to say all the emotion. <laughs> there's all the emotions that go with it. But go ahead. I am quoting the city of Tequila here on their official uh, press release and and Web page on this from the mayor's office. Most of the residents are asylum seekers from Venezuela, Angola and Congo fleeing violence and conflict in their homeland. 
I understand. Yeah, that's what they claim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Sarah Nelson also said the discussions about this issue and funding need to happen at the county and state level because yes. there are such limited resources. She, she did there. say that. You think yes. that was just way of her dismissing it offhand, or is, that's what the activists told her in to public that? comment yeah. that Seattle is the largest city in King County. And as she said, with the lion's share of the housing assistance resources, needs to step up and be a leader in this situation. The city of Tukwila, with far fewer resources, you know, is is at capacity, is telling people to go to other cities. And Seattle, you know, being the obvious choice as the most uh, resource laden city but nelson pointing out that this the resources while seattle may have the most they also have one of the biggest crises when it comes to housing people and that those resources can only go so far and they need to prioritize their own citizens right and a budget deficit that they're going to be facing right because the mayor about two weeks ago or three weeks ago said they're going to put a hiring freeze they've got a great big hole in their budget so they're going to try to find more money i think the governor wants to throw more of our tax dollars at illegal immigrants that have uh illegally entered our country and are claiming asylum asylum Um, seeking is not illegal if you are fleeing violence though what is illegal is to not go through there are three legal passages to claim asylum in the united states there's three of them most of these people are not coming through the three ports and claiming asylum there. They are sneaking into the country and then being transported because we give money to the federal government and then they transport them via airplanes to various places. There are three ports of entry that you can do, but they've set this thing up that you can come in and just bypass those. Yes, you have a, there, you can claim asylum and then you are within 30 days according to the law you are to be heard your asylum claim is to be heard most cases of asylum are rejected and the person is sent back well they're not doing 30 days because they're not processing because we're being overrun with 10 million immigrants that are now in this country illegally and they're not being taken out so they're staying and they're going in and they're basically become part of america and they feed off of the fact that places like Seattle and Denver and New York and San Francisco uh, provide services for people. And I get it. Listen, it's an economic uh, equation. If you're living in some horrible place and you know that you could go to a better place, you will take those risks to go to a better place. I have that. I understand that. But also, you have to have a border or you don't have a country. There are three legal places to enter in Texas. And that's I'm going to guess most of them don't do that because it's just too hard. It's not necessary because you can go some other way in there. But this is something that Seattle will be dealing with and the state of Washington will be dealing with. Because, again, when you're a sanctuary city, you're not going to send anybody home. You're not going to ask anybody's nationality. So if you want to go around and uh, shoot and kill people or beat somebody up or kill somebody, uh, don't worry. Do it in Washington or New York or San Francisco or Chicago, some city that doesn't want to hold anybody accountable because, God forbid, bid we bring in uh ice to deport criminals that have snuck into our country you know john actually it's interesting you bring that up because you asked what was happening in the legislature matt markovich just popped in here to mention that there is a bill that was passed today that would actually affect the asylum seekers in tequila and other places Matt's actually oh, yeah. in here this is uh, breaking Guest news appearance. it happened it happened this afternoon and it's going to go to the governor that Starting next year, immigrants must be covered on, by DSHS for uh, health care and whatever, and they have to adopt all immigrants. So that what would happen in Tukwila 
the state could come in and the DSHS and say, hey, we're here to help you guys and put it on the state's shoulders to start helping them. That just passed today. We're from the government and we're here to help. What could go wrong? <laughs> just thought I'd let you know Just that. to emphasize, though, asylum seeking is a a legal thing if you are fleeing violence, which we know the Congo certainly has a lot of it, and Venezuela, and a longstanding American tradition. So definitely a conversation to be had about... And is often the case, the devil's in the details. Indeed. <laughs> and Very definitions so. and semantics Very and so much on. so. An evolving if, if you situation. didn't go through the three ports, you've broken the law. Boom. Well. well. <laughs> Kate Stone. Love you. Thanks for coming on. Always. Oh, wow. You sing us out there. Nice. Nice job, Joe. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Well, Had to get in there somewhere. <laughs> Greg Tomlin, you've been following the story of the trooper that was uh, shot multiple times. I have, yeah, and the GoFundMe for him has raised more than $100,000 already, which I was very encouraged to see the community rallying around this state trooper and his family. John, you know, there's never a shortage of worthy charitable causes on some of these GoFunding sites. I mean, you could clean out your bank account real <laughs> real fast. Yeah. Uh, but I do have a soft spot, I must say, uh, for fundraisers that involve raising money for officers who've been injured or even killed in the line of duty and their families and military personnel uh, who yeah. are either KIA who have been injured because, look, these people are individuals that put their lives on the line for our freedom and security and, you know, sometimes to be able to financially support them above and beyond just what their paycheck is means a whole lot to those families. Let's say... Uh- Joe, does the story that Didi's son do, does that set up what happened to Trooper Ray Seberg? It does, yes. of Trooper Ray Seberg recall hearing about a trooper getting shot on February 16th. The first thing, um, when I heard about a trooper being shot, the first thing I thought was, well, thank goodness Ray doesn't work that area. So it wasn't until later that I realized it was him. Of course, it's devastating. Seberg was working DUI emphasis patrol in the Kent area when things went wrong. The suspect, now identified as 31-year-old Jason Posada, didn't stop. Investigators say he crashed into another car, then got out and ran. Seberg chased him into an apartment complex on West James Place. They ended up in a struggle, and the suspect ended up shooting Seberg at least five times. Neighbors say they have watched Seberg leaving for work to protect the community. Somebody who does their job every day, leaves home every day. Um, you know, I've watched him do that for 21 years and watched him come home every day. That Friday, Trooper Seberg didn't come home. The verified GoFundMe says Seberg suffered a severed femoral artery and that a Kent police officer and trooper arrived quickly, applying life-saving tourniquets to both of Seberg's legs. Yes, it's fortunate that, uh, you know, it wasn't... Um, something that killed him. It could have easily killed him. The trooper is still in the hospital at Harborview Medical Center, now starting the slow journey of healing. To help him and his family, that GoFundMe has quickly raised more than $100,000. Neighbors say Seberg has been supporting King and Pierce counties for two decades. And now? I'm hoping we can be there for him now. You have to be thankful that there's somebody out there 
doing what they do. That verified GoFundMe says the trooper suffered nine bullet hole injuries to mostly his legs, but also one to his hand and needed emergency surgery for all of that. I did check in with Harborview Medical Center tonight, and I am told he is in satisfactory condition. In Kent, D.D. Sun, Cairo 7 News. So the man that allegedly did this shot at the troop, trooper shot. Trooper tried to shoot his gun jammed. The Posada, the alleged, uh, shot back at the trooper hit the trooper a number of times, then took the trooper's gun, walked, started to walk away, turned around, came back, and uh, hit the trooper, I think, two more times. So who is this guy that allegedly uh, shot at this uh, trooper Seberg? Well, it turns out that um, he's now being held for $3 million bail. Well, he had been held before for some other crimes, but... An organization called Northwest Community Bail stepped in and said, well, he, he shouldn't. Let's make sure we get him out. And um, because, well, we, we need to make sure that he's not being held because that's not fair. So they kicked up the money, got him out. And then the alleged Mr. Posada then uh, ends up by shooting this trooper. Como News has learned through court documents that the man suspected of shooting a Washington state trooper nine times was let out of jail on bail in June by the Northwest Community Bail Fund. 31-year-old Jason Posada is currently being held in the King County Jail on $3 million bail. Como's Hannah Knowles joins us live tonight. And Hannah, this group that bails people out of jail... They're very controversial, aren't they? Yeah, Eric, critics say oftentimes these bail groups, it allows for the release of repeat and sometimes even violent offenders. Now, this group that bailed him out back in June, this is the Northwest Community Bail Fund. They bailed him out after having eight uh, felonies, prior convictions, and they bailed him out after he was arrested and charged in Pierce County on a DOC, on DOC supervision. Now, Jason Posada, he was arrested in January of last year in Pierce County and charged with unlawful possession of a stolen vehicle, making a misleading statement to a public servant and obstructing a law enforcement officer. Before that, his record includes robbery and assault charges, possession of a stolen vehicle, and an arrest in Wyoming. A receipt from June 7th shows his bail posted for $10,000 from Northwest Community Bail Fund. He then violates his parole, misses a court date, and a warrant is issued for his arrest. Next, Posada is arrested on Friday after he allegedly shot the the Washington state trooper nine times, even stealing his duty firearm and shooting. But let's remember that the Northwest Community Bail Fund released this human being, and I use the term loosely, (laughs) on society. So in 2020, I looked up their tax returns. They got $5 million from some people that felt it was okay for people like this to be out of jail so the rest of us get a chance to really fully enjoy to the extent of their inhumanity. They got $5 million. It's down to about a million dollars. People are giving less money to them now. And the executive director is the only one that gets paid. Rebecca, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce her last name correctly, Aria, was getting paid 72000 Then she got up to about, a, she's making 120 some thousand dollars um, and they're now in arrears. They actually are taking in less money than they're spending out. So hopefully they go out of quote unquote business, the Northwest Community Bail Fund. Because what happens is most of the people that they give the bail to, 
jump and leave and don't come back. So because why should they? It's not their money. So a bunch of people, do-gooders that for some reason want to give these Northwest Community Bail Funds $5 million in 2020, it's going down every single year because maybe people start to realize maybe this isn't such a good idea. So here you have Rebecca Ira, who is mostly concerned. She's being paid $121,888 a year uh, to organize this group that sees people like Posada and says, yeah, you shouldn't be in jail. Um, go go free amongst the people. And then don't forget to return back because you're going to have to return back to court, which, of course, they don't return back to court. And then this trooper bears uh, the hardship and the pain and the suffering and his three children and his wife do as well because Northwest Community Bail Fund feels it's better to have a criminal on the streets than behind uh bars waiting trial yeah the evidence is manifestly clear if you're a person contributing to a bail fund you are subsidizing crime in your area there's no question about it and for further context you brought up the history of these bail funds a little bit they existed pre-2020 but they really came into a windfall in light of the death of george floyd and at that time you even had then senator kamala harris urging people to give to these bail funds to try to spring arrested protesters from jail because they're innocent we got to get them out celebrities got on board with this movement so they brought in millions and millions of dollars now look were there and are there some people behind bars who committed a petty crime just once in their life or were locked up for something they did while protesting i can safely assume and i'm 99 sure there's data that backs this up that that number is incredibly small incredibly not consequential enough to where millions of dollars are needed to bail these people out but when the bail fund received this windfall in 2020 uh, it's a common maxim. The appetite grows by what it feeds on, right? So you right. have all this money in, and they start bailing people out willy-nilly. There's a quote from this Wall Street regardless, Journal article. Regardless of whether or not it's – they don't even ask if it's violent or not. They, they don't, don't even look the into the criminal history. Here was the criteria for some of these bail funds for how they bailed people out. Uh, first factor considered, availability of funds. So in other words, exactly right. what I said, if they had the money, they were willing to use it to bail people out. COVID outbreaks in jail, separation of families, ability to afford bail amount, health factors, housing or shelter bed, race, gender status. There's a few yeah. box checking criteria for you. And then I have to say this on the air, but a quote from someone who represents one of these bail funds. Um, they did not get back to this Wall Street Journal author with questions that they had. But Becky Herrera, the fund's executive director, replied that the quarries indicated a lack of understanding of the existing criminal legal system as regards bail. Uh, don't be a copagandist. Policing is fundamentally brutal and violent. Um, it doesn't prevent or intervene on violence and was designed to control people and protect capital. Now, if that's not neo-Marxist gobbledygook, I'm not sure what is, John. Um, It's just reprehensible, disgusting. This trooper should have never been shot by this man who belongs behind bars. These bail uh, funds organizations should be ashamed of themselves. Nobody should give money to them because it's directly contributing to more crime being committed everywhere. I looked up because I wanted to see, do nonprofits need to tell you 
do they need to make public who their donors are? That thing got kicked around because they wanted to in the state of Washington. I think they want they had a bill that was trying to get it out there that you would have to tell you the names of donors. But they were thinking, well, that was only be for political purposes, and that would silence donations. If all of a sudden you would see that you know Mr. Smith gave to a political organization. Uh, that you might have a problem with that somebody would be on the right. Um, they didn't want to make these names public. I wanted to find the people. If anybody's listening to this show, nobody's listening to this show that gave the Northwest Community Bail Fund. But I would love to know, who are these people that gave this money? And I do. will you also give money to the GoFundMe campaign for uh, Trooper Ray Seberg and for his family and his 21 years of service and the pain and suffering that that he will go through as he tries to rehabilitate from nine wounds will you give money to that guy are you more concerned about mr posada and the violent history that he had demonstrated and been proven to then be released into the public the statistics i won't bore you with them but you can see a combination you can compare no bail to bail and then how often recidivism and how often violent crimes are recommitted but for rebecca what's what do you say her last name was herrera i hope she sleeps well tonight for those of you listening to the show and greg might you know this i have um I've been on a quest to get into the guinness world book of records for the longest time i've tried three times that failed every single time so when i used when Jacob was hosting the show or uh, producing the show or Patrick or Bitter Brian Buckley, they, every time they'd find a Guinness World Book of Records story, they always stuck it in there just to go like, oh, here's another person. Here's somebody else. Like the one last one we were they were tormenting me with was a guy that smashed eggs with his forehead. You remember that one, Andrew? I don't know. He was like a hundred and some eggs. He just he's banging his head down on this big pile of eggs that are all lined up. I thought there was um, the one where it's uh, watermelons. Oh, God. The categories so are endless, though, right? My kids watch those Dude Perfect guys on YouTube. They seem to break a new Guinness record every week. It's like, how many lemons okay, can okay, you cut in right, a minute? Really, Greg, really? Seems pretty easy really now, John. To me too. <laughs> Step up your game is all I'm saying. Here's another person. Here's another record. Portland local has earned bragging rights after securing the Guinness World Record for the largest female <laughs> tongue circumference. With a tongue <laughs> circumference of 5.2 inches, uh, yeah. Jenny Duvander now holds the new title. Apparently, Jenny. her tongue is larger than a soda can. Jenny's son pushed her to submit the application for the Guinness World Records in 2024 after seeing the male winner in last year's book. That West Virginia man's tongue circumference measured at 6.3 inches. Woo. So you can get a Guinness World Record for... Pretty much anything. This one seems legit uh, that, to me, though. Wait, even that guy threw salt in the wound. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he did. <laughs> oh, okay. Unless your name All is right. John Curley. To put in perspective for you, so the average tongue is normally 2.5 inches wide and about three inches long. Hers is five, what was it, five, two or something like that? Something like that. He said it was as yeah. big as a soda can, and I saw pictures. It it's alarming. Look, yeah, it, it, but yeah. Is, is it that big? But hasn't that always been the point of the Guinness Book of World Records? So when I was a kid, I think we had one of these Guinness Book of World Records like in our school library, oh, and we'd, we'd go yeah. with a bunch of kids and like view it in the corner, and they were awesome. It was like, guy grew the longest fingernails in the world. Oh, yeah. does, does, yep, the yep. two fat feet twins. Long. Remember the two fat guys on the motorcycle? Two fat guys on the motorcycle. Yeah. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. We, we say thin challenged nowadays, but it, they also had like the tallest man ever. Anything biological seems mm-hmm. legit to me, but things sure. have gotten so out of hand lately. Like 
record number of shake weight reps while watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I mean, <laughs> yes, we I have know. to draw the line somewhere. But so at least I, what I like about the story is we're getting back to the spirit of right. the true Guinness records here, which is like, oh, look at that weird tongue. Right. Right. <laughs> I agree They with always you. had the tallest guy next to the shortest guy and the mm-hmm. shortest guy that yes. also had to put a top hat on or something or he's holding he's in the arms of the tall guy or biggest ears or whatever else it went with this i tried to break uh most amount of water skiers behind one boat for one nautical mile um 120 the, re- the record was set by the australians which was 100 um put that on the jacks. epitaph <laughs> <laughs> have i told you about my guinness world record john oh no really do you have one well i participated in one and we got we got we got in the book Okay. Most T-shirts worn by a single human at the same time. Oh, 155, 20, 2006. I hope you're proud of yourself. Your <clears throat> wait, 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 wait. You Did you break it? Did you I, have no, I, I shot the video that ended up going viral that got us into the book, and then we did it on David Letterman, me and my uh, uh, the Matt McAllister, who he used to work with. We put uh-huh. the T-shirts on him, yeah. Put that in your book. Got parodied on The Simpsons. All the accolades that come with being a no Guinness kidding. World Record holder. Okay. Yeah, oh, pretty sweet. I didn't know I was in the yeah, presence really of greatness. Yeah. Wow, really yeah. happy for you. If you wow, need some tips, great. I can I can probably help you. You know, work on something. I, I know the guy at Guinness too. Oh, okay, yeah, that's yeah. great. That's, uh, okay. Joe Mama. <laughs>